podcast with Tola Dole Fisher. Hello and welcome. This is Woman Alive with me, Tola Dole Fisher. This is the podcast for Christian women where I'm chatting with real women about real life and real faith. Yeah, I was actually in love with somebody else when I met my husband. Okay, okay. And, um, <laughs> who turned out to be gay. I cried all over him about this other man. And the fact that he let me do that and still supported me <laughs> and made me realise how much he actually loved me. You know, relationships are commitment. It can't be only in the good days. Right? We've got to know that life is a life of seasons and there's going to be some winters that are cold and hard. But if, if every time things get cold and hard, you're going to leave me and <laughs> we don't have much of a relationship. You can't just be here for the summertime, you know. The Woman Alive podcast is produced in partnership with Open Doors. Welcome back to another episode of the Woman Alive podcast. I'm your host, Toledal Fisher, and today we're discussing another hot topic that is all too relevant for Christian women. It's that time of year when red hearts are everywhere. And for those who are single, there is sometimes low or high level panic about finding a date for Valentine's Day. And for those in relationships, there can be huge pressure to prove just how loved up you really are. But today, we're asking whether romantic love is all it's cracked up to be. As a Christian woman, do you even need to be in love in order to be in a happy relationship? Before I get started, it would be remiss of me not to let you know that the Feb edition of Woman Alive is out now. And this month, we have a great interview with the absolutely stunning actress, Grace Chim. Grace was born in New Zealand, grew up in Indonesia, studied in the US and now lives in the UK. That is, when she's not flying over to Nigeria to film for Netflix. She's amazing, and yes, you're going to want to read her story immediately. Buy this issue or read it online at womenalive.co.uk. Now, just one last thing before we get started. Whether you're listening to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or any other platform, please give us a rating. This really helps us to become more visible to other users as we continue to grow the Women in Love community. And I don't want to be coy about this. If you love listening, go ahead and give us five stars. Thank you so much for making my day. So now let me introduce my guests. First, we have Veronica Zandor. Veronica is a writer, an author, a regular contributor to Women Alive magazine, as well as the New Daylight magazine published by Bible Reading Fellowship. Veronica is also a prize-winning poet, and her books include The Lion Book of Famous Prayers, as well as Going Out, Real Questions, and Some Answers About Dating. Coach Adesi Chiwoko is a presenter for BBC Radio Manchester, and a marriage and relationships coach. You can find her on the social media platform X, which will never stop sounding weird, at Mrs. Chiwoko, and her website is marriageforreal.co.uk. And that's marriage, the number four, R-E-A-L.co.uk. On both the website and on her social media platforms, she helps couples improve their intimacy and bust some common relationship myths. You may also have heard Coach Daisy as a contributor on both Premier Christian Radio and Premier Praise. 
Well, that's enough from me. Now you want to hear from our guests. Thank you, Coach Daisy, and thank you, Veronica, for being here today. Thank you for the invite. <laughs> okay, mm-hmm. so one of the things we love to do on the podcast is to put our lovely guests on the spot and ask them how well they know their Bibles. <laughs> and and today's question is a multiple choice question you'll be glad to know. So today's question is, which of these books of the Bible is dedicated to romantic, passionate love? And the answers are A, First Kings, or B, Song of Songs, or C, Luke. I'm going to go to you, Coach Adesi, first. Which do you think is dedicated to romantic, passionate love? Well, it's one of my favourite books, so it's B. Yes. Songs, that's your answer. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And Veronica, what do you think? Is it A, First Kings, B, Song of Songs, or C, Luke? Uh, I, I agree with uh, Adeze. It's the Song of Songs, or as I like to call it, the Snog of Snogs. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. It's excellent. Uh, and you're both correct. The answer is be Song of Songs and Song of Songs or, or Snog of Snogs, as Veronica calls it, charts the relationship between two people from courtship to eventual marriage and details the feelings and worries each has about their romance and the promise of real love. Um, often heard at many a wedding. OK, so Veronica, the article you've written or the article we're discussing today is one that you've written for us and... It is called Romantic Relationships Are Not the Only Ones We Should Prioritise. So if you wouldn't mind just reading a bit for people that may not have have read it. Okay. When I look around at my Christian woman friends, it seems to me that many have, quote, made their own arrangements, though not in such a negative way as the friend I talked about earlier. Take the group of four other single women I used to pray with regularly. One got married in her mid-thirties. In fact, I was her bridesmaid, actually. (laughs) Then her husband left her. She was better off without him as he was violent towards her. One had a boyfriend who became increasingly disabled and she became and still is his carer. One lived with her brother but couldn't cope with the clutter caused by his growing model train set and moved to live with her married sister. One moved in with her boyfriend to be near and care for her mother without actually living with her. It was all very chaste, separate bedrooms. After her mother's death, she stayed there, and eventually they got married, quote, for tax purposes, unquote. They seemed very happy. And me, I married a man I wasn't in love with, but with him I felt I had a strong friendship. And somehow we are still married 35 years later. God moves in mysterious ways. He does indeed. Thank you, Veronica, for reading that out. And if you want to read the whole article, you can read that at womenalive.co.uk. So I just wanted to ask you both, because you're both married, what does love in a relationship context mean to you? So Coach Daisy, if I go to you first, in your own personal relationship, what does love mean to you in a relationship context? Leaning in from my own marriage, my own relationship, 
it is commitment, deep commitment. It is friendship. It is support. It is being there in the good, in the times. It is having someone who accepts you, warts and all, flaws and beauties and uglies, the works. It is somebody who is saying, I'm going to stand by you throughout the whole journey, right? And that's what love is. It's patient, it's tolerant, you know, it gives, it's kind. Um, And sometimes, actually, it doesn't like, but it still shows up, right? Sometimes it's very annoyed (laughs) and frustrated, but it doesn't give up. And so, yeah, leaning in from my relationship and what I know of of love and how love has showed up in my marriage, that's, that's what it's looked like. And how long have you been married? Because that sounds like the perfect marriage relationship. So mm. I want to know how that works. I'm divorced. How do, how do I make that better in my next relationship? How, how long? Is... Yeah, we've, so we've been together for 22 years and married for, it'll be 19 years this year. Amazing. But don't, don't get it twisted. We had some really difficult times in the early years. We went through everything, verbal abuse, adultery, the works. Mm-hmm. And that is part of the story of how I've ended up being a marriage and relationship coach because people go through difficult times but are not clear on or don't know that there are principles that you can use to absolutely bring transformation to your marriage and create the marriage of your dreams does it take some learning some leaning in some unlearning absolutely but that's exactly what happened with us the infidelity came in and just destroyed everything and when we decided that we were going to try again we were very clear that this time we were going to be intentional about creating the marital experience that we desire and that's what we did that's beautiful thank you for sharing that I appreciate that um you're welcome handed um nature there Veronica You've been married for 35 years. Is that right? That's what you just said, I think, in the article. Okay, so what does love in a relationship context mean to you? Because you've said you weren't in love with your husband when you married him, um, but you had a strong friendship. Yeah, I was actually in love with somebody else when I met my husband. Okay, okay. Who <laughs> um, turned, uh, turned out to be gay. <laughs> Uh, which didn't help. And, and at the point where I found out for sure that this man was gay, I was at a weekend away with my then boyfriend, who is now my husband. Um, and I cried all over him about this other man. Um, and the fact that he let me do that and still supported me <laughs> and made me realise how much he actually loved me. Um, uh, so I think I would say what love is um, in a marriage relationship is this actually the same as what love is in every other context uh, mm. and what Jesus defined it as which is doing what is best for the wanting what is best and doing what is best for the other person uh, I won't say that I'm an expert at that and uh, sometimes I think Inertia is as big a factor <laughs> in our being together after 35 years as love has been. But um, but also, um, 
I think um, having our son has kept us together, loving our son, both loving our son. And in fact, our son said to us one day, he said, Basically, I think you and Dad are incompatible, but you've been kept by together by your love for each other. And I thought, well, I'm not going to say this, but actually we've been kept together by our love for you, our son. That is a lot of information that I'm still processing. Um, I, I, I think it was fascinating the way that you described that you discovered or recognised that your now husband might be someone that you should pursue a relationship with even though you're in love with someone else so you you say you weren't in love with him before are you in love with him now is that too private a question to ask (laughs) uh this is quite a private question but I would say probably not in the sense of in love that it's all very bubbly and I think I want to talk about our wedding rings we scoured the whole of Hatton Garden Jewellery Quarter to find wedding rings, and we wanted some kind of pattern on them. We didn't find anything that we liked. And we ended up buying plain gold rings. They were, they were 24 carat. They were good quality, and they were what's called court rings that are barreled inside as well as outside, okay. uh, which makes them stronger. Um but I thought at the time, and I discovered later that my mother's wedding ring, which I'd only ever seen as sort of plain and patternless, had originally had a pattern. But at the time I thought, well, all wedding rings end up plain in the end. The pattern wears off. And maybe that's a metaphor for marriage. Marriage can start with this really exciting pattern that is being in love. But it wears off. <laughs> And they all end up plain in the end. And it's with the plainness that is the real test, I think. And maybe putting some passion back into that plainness. Coach Daisy, you can't see Coach Daisy, but she is nodding furiously at this. <laughs> Do you want to jump in here? What, what I'm wedding ring, by the way. <laughs> yeah, I am. Um... Veronica's right, the passion that is naturally there, that euphoria that that kicks us off. I believe that God gives us that as like a, there you go, guys. I'll pump you with that to get you going. And that natural euphoria does die off. And I think where a lot of couples make a mistake is that when it dies off, they're just like, well, well, is it ever going to come back? Maybe it will one day, you know, whereas really that's the time that they are supposed to step in with intentionality and keep stoking that fire. Does it take work? Yes. Do you need to be intentional? Yes. But absolutely, couples can keep that sense of passion or at least least go through waves of passion where it's up there and then you sense that it's gone down. You do the work to bring it back up again throughout the life of their marriage. I witnessed that with my parents. Um, My parents were married for over 40 years before my dad passed away a couple of years ago. And all we knew was of them being extremely passionate about their love to the point that we were a little bit like, hey, guys, what about us? You know, so what I did witness them stoking that passion and being intentional about keeping it there, recognising that it's not something that's just going to naturally be there because you're married. I think I'd like to qualify that 
in a way there because some marriages like mine start without any of that passion right uh, and, and and never have that yeah um and and i don't think that's ideal uh, it's something that god called me to i felt very much called to this marriage as soon as i met ed at a conference the first thing he said to me was i think you're fascinating and the first thing i thought was oh dear how do i get rid of this nerd oh <laughs> But the conference was called No Splits, which which was significant because I wasn't able to get rid of him. But, but uh, I was going through lots of struggles in my life. And, I, you know, whenever I had any episode of depression or anything, I would run to him. I would go mm. and stay with him in Cambridge. And he would put me up and put up with me. And I recognise that this was something very valuable. Yeah. Uh, and it's perhaps not an ideal basis for a marriage. I think ideally you should have that that's, um, fire wow. burning in your bones, that, that initial romance and that initial in love feeling. I think it, as, as Daisy said, it, it helps fuel things. But but at the same time as I met him, as well as thinking, how do I get rid of this nerd? I had this really deep gut feeling that felt like it was from God. That this was I'd had a few friendships where um, I had been friends with someone very different from me, but I'd learnt a lot from it, and I felt this was going to be one of those friendships. Mm. I, I had no thought at all in my head of marrying him. <laughs> It does sound like you married your or you you married your best friend, which which I think is also really, nice. a really important thing. I would say my ex-husband was yeah. my best friend, and I would hope when I get married again, God willing, that my husband will be my best friend. So although we're talking we're talking about relationships being approached from a different angle, kind of that fiery, passionate love kind of versus or or and the best friend aspects, I think both are really valuable, no? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, both are. Both are. And you can have both of those aspects within your relationship. And sometimes you lean more on one on the other, you know? And that, like I said before, your relationship may go through seasons. And at sometimes you're literally holding on to the fact that, well, at least we're friends because we're really not getting on as man and wife. Right yeah. Now, you know? Yeah. Um, and and then you can move on to sort of being the in love lovers, and you know you've got this spectrum of relationship within marriage that I think that, like I said, it sort of goes in ways. But I think it's all about sort of being aware and also creating the marriage that you want. And if it's not one that's going to be full of passion and roses, not everybody wants that, you know. But I think the important thing is being clear on the type of marriage that you want, and then creating it and being content with it. Well, I wanted, I wanted the romance and the whole, you know, red roses thing. Right. Um, well, it wasn't what God gave me. God gave me something else, which I think is equally valuable. Um, I bought flowers for myself yesterday, but I put them on the credit card that my husband pays off. So yesterday was Valentine's Day. <laughs> and I told day. him that. And I, told <laughs> I him applaud that. you. He was absolutely fine with it. I applaud you. Um, because he, he will not think of these things because he's almost certainly got Asperger's. And 
Yeah, that that leads me to the other thing I wanted to say actually, which is about acceptance. Okay. I wanted the big romance. I wanted the the flowers and the passion and the and the, you know, um, him surprising me with dates and so on. I mean, we do not have dates unless I organise them. We do not have holidays unless I organise them. Since <laughs> that's just two years, and I have come, and it's taken me a long time to accept that because he has many other really good qualities and because he accepts me and I have some very bad qualities, (laughs) but he's accepted that. Um, And I think there's a a lot in that process of of acceptance, um, which which is a very important part of love. Veronica, I think it's one of the most important aspects of love, acceptance when you're able to get to know the the dark and the light side of each other, the frustrating and the really enjoyable sides of each other and say, hey, listen, I've learned this and I'm at that place where I can accept the good and the bad of you and the parts of you that I enjoy and the parts that I don't enjoy. And when that's mutual, that I believe that that is what true love is. I think you're, you're, you're both, you both have very real, really insightful um kind of testimonies and examples of love different types of love or the way you love or the way you are in relationship romantic relationships um and one of the things that veronica you mentioned in your article is how, just how much focus the church has on romantic relationships and that actually there are so many other relationships that are equally important outside of that or that there are you know whether it's like a sibling relationship or a parental relationship or just friendships um and why do why do you think in the church we focus so much on those? Because I don't know that in the Bible marital relationships are discussed that much. When, when we read articles, sorry, when we read Bible stories about um, some characters, it's usually about their relationship with God and what they are doing. We don't often, sometimes we do, but we don't often know if they've got a partner or a wife. You know, was Lazarus married? Maybe we don't know. Um, so what do you think about the church's kind of focus um, on making sure that we're all in happy romantic relationships? I think it, I think the church has been completely taken in by the world. <laughs> um, and I think the church has lost the witness it had in its early years to the value of celibacy and singleness, um, but the value that has to the kingdom which is very much stressed in the New Testament. Uh, and also, the, as you say, the value of friendship and commitments, which are not romantic, but um, are still um, important commitments. I mean, I have one friend um, who is a Christian. Her sister, who's not a Christian, became pregnant by her married lover, um, he would not leave his wife. She had the baby. She and her sister bought a house together and they brought up her son together. That's beautiful. And I think that is as important a relationship. as And, and, and her sister is unmarried. I mean, she, she could have got married, but she wanted to marry a Christian and the opportunities weren't available to her. 
and maybe she was too feisty and too clever for Christian men, as a lot of women are. No a lot of Christian men are quite scared of intelligent women. Um, uh, and there is a shortage of men in the church. So that, you know, that household of two sisters and the son of one of the sisters, in in the biblical setting, the basic unit is not the nuclear family, it's the household. And it would include all kinds, it would include slaves and servants and relatives and um and I think we've we've got too focused on the nuclear family. And this is another one of my sayings, which I'm afraid you're going to have to endure, which is that the nuclear family is an explosive situation. <laughs> and That's a really I, interesting I, point about the, the nuclear family, because it definitely has been positioned as the kind of the centre of society. Uh, Coach Daisy, what do you think about that? Well, we can't deny that stats do point to society doing better when we have more married couples, more healthy married couples. Um, so the stats are there. But also, I think that uh, Veronica's right. We, the church has sort of maybe lent more heavily on this one type of relationship and not placed enough value on us being just relational beings and the importance of us maintaining all the relationships that we have in our lives. And I do think that, again, it's come from this idea that um, marriage equals stability. Mm. You know, mm. and, and I think that many churches believe that if they have, you know, if we can have that stability uh, with our members and maybe it would equal a st stable church and therefore a stable society. And I understand it to a point, but I do think that equally we need to be placing emphasis on well, how committed are you to your friendships and to your family members and you know, other types of relationships. How do we manage those? And we are created to be relational beings. We we thrive off it. People die from loneliness. And so what happens when the married person now isn't married or the person never gets married? What do they do? And are they classed mm -hmm. as unstable and are they just mm -hmm. left to rot? No, we need to encourage them to to have those nice, healthy relationships wherever we can find them, you know? Yeah. Yeah, I, I grew up in a family, a very nuclear family, because my parents were refugees from Austria, and there was just my parents and my brother and me. There was no extended family in this country at all. My mother's family had been exterminated in the Holocaust. My father's family, he wasn't Jewish, but his family were in Vienna. And the only extended family we had was all the other German and Austrian refugees that were around us. And it was very bad for us. And my brother mm -hmm. became severely mentally ill and, and we lost him to suicide. Uh, and I think if we'd had a bigger extended family, that might not have happened. And the, the only time that I really um, experienced the, the joy of extended family uh, was my 24 years in the Mennonite church um, where we had a very strong emphasis on community and and I felt that um everyone in the church was my brothers and sisters but there's I think there's a feeling that um families come in all sorts of shapes and we will accept whatever shape they come in and and that's 
one of the things that I like very much about the church that I'm in now. I agree. I definitely um, had that experience also my parents divorced because my mum then took us to a church where it did feel like family and being um, I'm of African descent. And so everyone older than me is already my aunt or uncle. But in this church, automatically, automatically. Right. But in this church, <laughs> what, 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 what ethnicity were everybody older was my aunt and uncle. And mm-hmm. and that kind of community in the church really helped my mother to what well, helped her look after three of us when we were really young. And helps her feel like she was part of something when her family was back home in Nigeria and she didn't have that connection. And I think the church is really well placed, actually, to be that kind of community support to all yeah. kinds of families, whether that's, I don't know, single people, single parents, married people, married people with children or without children, older people, widowed, divorced, all the different groups. And I, I love this idea that actually we should be focusing on that relational love rather than romantic love. So in closing, I wanted to ask you both if you can say the three or three things you think are um, important in um, a love context, whether that's uh, romantic or otherwise. What are the three really important things that you should be doing or showing within um, your love for someone? Yeah, it's good. I think Veronica and I will both agree with number one, that word acceptance that we um, said before, just just. I don't know, sometimes being, you know, I was born and raised in a church and sometimes you can go through life with this judgmental um, outlook that you didn't even realise that you had and it and it blocks you from exploring and enjoying different relationships. So I think that acceptance with the removal of judgment would be one of the first things that I would say. Um, and then I think that, really seeking to put others first you know how can I give more how can I expand more how can I show more love that is going outward you know without neglecting self but really looking outward and say how can I show up for this person more and really be a blessing in someone's life you know relationships are commitment you know mm-hmm. I've got a it can't be only in the good days Right. We've got to know that life is a life of seasons and there's going to be some winters that are cold and hard. But if if every time things get cold and hard, you're going to leave me (laughs) and we don't have much of a relationship. You can't just be here for the summertime, you know. (laughs) So definitely um, commitment. And those those three go across relationships. They work in marriage. They work in family. They work for friendships. They work in business. You know, um, I think they're important. Absolutely agree. Thank you. And Veronica, what would be the three things that you would say? I think the first one I'd like to say is shared values. It was very important to me to marry a Christian. Um, Alas, my husband has given up on church now and, and wouldn't even necessarily call himself a Christian anymore, but still very much has values that he his Christian upbringing gave him. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's a sadness to me that he's not at church with me, and that is hard. But you know, he hasn't he hasn't suddenly turned against faith in all its aspects. <laughs> the second thing I would say is dedicated time together. And um, by that, I very much mean phone free time. 
<laughs> in real life conversation. I went, I went to a Kaylee with my husband recently. <clears throat> and when we went dancing, he was looking at his phone the entire time. And I'm really quite cross about that. I, are you not impressed that your husband was able to do the Kaylee while looking at his phone? Because I no, no, no. he was he was dancing. He didn't look at his phone when he was dancing. <laughs> <laughs> but when he wasn't dancing, when we were at the table eating, he was. Well, when we weren't eating, he was just looking at his phone the, the whole time. And I thought, I've got to stamp down on this next time we have a date. And the third thing I'd want to say um, is openness to others openness to the world um i think a couple who are too focused in on each other are an unhealthy couple i think a, a couple who make a home together have got to make that home open to those in need um and and to friends and exercise hospitality uh, i think that's a really important part of their relationship and also go out and, and, you know, experience things together, go to galleries yeah. together, go to concerts, whatever, just have, have joint experiences. Thank Good. you. Thank you so much to both of you for your contribution to this wonderful and really insightful discussion. Just in closing, do any of you have any uh, resources that you want to share with our listeners? Coach Daisy, I think you have a book that you wanted to mention. Yeah, I have a book called Seven Intimacy Killers. It was really um, written to help couples recognise when the passion was going (laughs) and what is actually killing the intimacy between them. So you can get that from Amazon. And also I have a free resource for women called Understanding the Male Ego to help them connect with their (laughs) husbands better. And yeah, it's a big one. And all they need to do is find me on Instagram, shoot me a a DM, marriage for real, and uh, I'll get them that absolutely free. Amazing. And Veronica, did you have anything that you want to share that I haven't already mentioned? Well, unfortunately, my books are all out of print now, though I do still have some some a box of copies of various things at home. So can I say people can email the Women Alive team if they want to get a copy of the book and then we can forward that on to you? Would that work? Yes, I don't, I don't have a website. I am present on Facebook, but I'm giving up. I'm on a Facebook fast for Lent. So, okay. <laughs> so I won't be on Facebook for a little while. But yes, people can email me. Uh, and, and the books that I have copies of are um, Crying for the Light, which is a book about depression. Um uh, time of Our Lives, which is a combination of my columns and um, extracts from my new Daylight Notes. Okay, so we're now going to go to the second segment of the podcast, where we answer a, a sex and relationships question as part of a series we call Great Expectations. And today's question is, is it okay for me to sell pictures of myself online? So I'm going to read the question that came in as an email from a reader. And then we together will help, uh, will try and help her come to, um, come to a decision, but we'll give her some advice. So here is the email. Dear woman alive, I'm a student and in a considerable amount of debt. A friend of mine who I thought was in a similar financial position has recently started started splashing the cash quite a lot and going on holidays abroad, and it has made me curious about how she was doing it. When I asked her, she told me that she has a secret account online 
and sends sexy images of herself for money. She told me she doesn't show her face or any recognisable body part in any of them and that she has never met any of the people who buy the photos. It's completely anonymous. She has been doing this for almost a year and has made over £40,000. She has paid off her student debt and has just been approved for a mortgage. And I have to admit, I'm really tempted. Is this bad? Gosh, I'm tempted. What's that? What did you, what did you say? I said, I'm tempted. <laughs> okay, Daisy is tempted. <laughs> what, what do we think about this? I'm horrified. <laughs> Tell, tell us how I, I, I mean, yes, I, I, I take the point that, you know, the face isn't shown, recognisable body parts aren't shown, although it's quite difficult to, to understand how the pics could be sexy at all if that's the case. Um, but I still think two things. I, one, it's making yourself into a sex object, which I think is, you know, women are made into sex objects without their without their will, and I wouldn't want to make myself into one, not that I could now at 71, but in my younger days, um, I don't think we should um, collaborate with society's view of us as sex objects. And secondly, nothing online is ever truly private or hidden. Uh, and, And I think, you know, if if a future employer or a future partner was to find out about this, I think it would be incredibly bad for her. Um, I think it's awful that students are in so much debt these days. When I was a student, I had a full, I had a grant. Tuition, there were no tuition fees. I had a very small grant, but my that was because my parents could afford to pay for me. Um, and I can see the temptation <laughs> if if her friend is making that much money out of it. Uh, but there are other ways for students to make money. It doesn't have to be um, that huge amount. And you don't actually have to pay off your student debt before you start earning a certain amount. My son is 29 and still he hasn't paid off any of his student debt because he hasn't earned enough and doesn't have to. Um, I would be quite worried if my son started um, <laughs> selling sexy pictures of himself online. Well, there is actually, there is this um, unfortunate kind of phenomenon called survival sex. I don't know if you guys have heard about this, where um, people are, men and women, are turning to various versions of sex work, whatever Mm -hmm. that looks like, whether that's on, you know, online or in person, to pay their bills. So, and, and this is something that is in the mainstream, but that doesn't necessarily mean that Christians would be exempt from considering it, I guess, because this this reader is even considering it herself. What do you think, Coach Daisy? Yeah, the scripture that came to mind was First Corinthians ten twenty three that says all things are lawful, but not all things are beneficial or advent- advantageous. Um, yes. You know, not everything. I mean, she could go and do it, and she won't be breaking any laws. But I think when you're in a desperate situation, it's very easy to look. Um, just in front of you but I would advise her to really think about the long term about the woman that she's looking to grow to be and does this action align with that kind of woman 
Um, I would ask her to not act out of desperation, but rather as a Christian, go to God and say, well, hey, what ideas can I have? If I mean, basically, you'd be setting up a business as a sex worker. Well, so if you've got that amount of initiative, go and set up a sex, I mean, a business in something else that's going to bring you some money, you know? Um, I think that sometimes when we look outside at the world, there's lots of things that are tempting. But this is where, you know, we draw a line as Christians. This is some of the times when we say, actually, well, this is where we can mark a difference between us and be a light, you know. And I think that if you take the example of your friend, then you're losing that opportunity of allowing God to shine through you, you know, and, and being the light in her life. And what Veronica said is right. There's nothing that is truly hidden on the internet (laughs) absolutely absolutely one day that's that might just come up and bite you in a way that you never ever thought that it would do thank you both I think that you there's some very solid arguments then I, I I feel like many Christians would think there doesn't need to be but actually that word you use there coach Daisy desperation means that people might be considering it even if it does sound obvious. The answer feels like, of course, no. But actually, desperation does make people do all sorts things of things. Yeah, they wouldn't ordinarily think to do. Yeah. So, thank you both for taking part in today's conversation. It has been great hearing your stories and your advice. And for listeners, however you're listening to this podcast, just a reminder: please save, share, subscribe, and we love a five star rating. You can read the article we discussed today at womanalive.co.uk. And if there's a conversation you want to hear on the podcast, or if you have a question about sex and relationships, you can email me at womanalive at premier.org.uk. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed the conversation. Join me next time where I'll be speaking with more incredible women about real life and real things. For more inspiring conversations, articles and opinions, head to womanalive.co.uk. Woman Alive. Real women, real lives, real faith.